Good evening. Israel unleashes its largest airstrikes to date against against Gaza, while an unprecedented outpouring of support and sympathy for Palestinians changes the political calculus. Palestinians in New York turn out to protest, and the defense makes its case in USA versus Donziger. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, May 17th, 2021. First, in New York. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced earlier today New York State will adopt the new CDC guidance allowing fully vaccinated New Yorkers to take off their masks indoors. The new guidance will go into effect starting Wednesday. And that's Governor Andrew Cuomo. The CDC issued guidance last Thursday, allowing fully vaccinated adults to go without a mask inside. The lifting of the mask mandate coincides with other restrictions being lifted Wednesday. Capacity restrictions for restaurants and bars are also being lifted on May 19th. And in national news, President Joe Biden echoed the optimism from the White House today. He says the United States can see the light at the end of the tunnel. For the first time since the pandemic began, Cases, pandemic cases, are down in all 50 states. First time. That's right. Thanks a lot to the hard work of so many people, COVID cases are down in all 50 states. Now, I can't promise that will continue this way. We know there will be advances and setbacks, and we know that there are many flare-ups that could occur. But if the unvaccinated get vaccinated, They will protect themselves and other unvaccinated people around them. If they do not, states with low vaccination rates may see those rates go up, may see this progress reversed. Ultimately, those who are not vaccinated will end up paying the price. President Biden. And in more national news, a Florida politician central to the investigation into Representative Matt Gates pleaded guilty Monday to six federal charges and agreed to cooperate with prosecutors as part of a plea deal. Joel Greenberg, a longtime associate of Gates, had faced three dozen charges, including sex trafficking of a minor, and he admitted that he had paid at least one underage girl to have sex with him and other men. Gates wasn't mentioned in the plea agreement, but Greenberg's cooperation may escalate the potential legal and political liability for the hard right politician and Trump supporting congressman. According to reports, federal prosecutors are examining whether Gates and Greenberg paid underage girls and escorts or offered them gifts in exchange for sex. They're also scrutinizing Gates's connection to a marijuana business.
Greenberg was warned there was no guarantee a judge would agree to the prosecutor's recommendations and he can no longer change his plea. Greenberg also is accused of embezzling $400,000 from the Seminole County Tax Collector's Office. That's according to the indictment filed against him. And in world news, Israel pummeled Gaza with airstrikes on Monday and Palestinian militants launched rockets at Israeli cities. Diplomats have failed to halt more than a week of deadly fighting. Israeli missile attacks killed a top Islamic Jihad commander and left a crater in a seven-story office building. The armed wing of Hamas promised more rockets in return and threatened to resume rocketing Tel Aviv. Gaza health officials put the Palestinian death toll since hostilities flared up last week at at least 212, including 61 children and 36 women. Women. Ten people have been killed in Israel, including two children. And in Brooklyn on Saturday, thousands of Palestinians and their supporters took to the streets of Bay Ridge in support of Gaza from Israel's U.S.-backed military machine. The colorful flags and determination of the marchers galvanized the neighborhood late into the night. The occasion for the march was the Napka, marking 73 years since Israel's armed forces sent millions of Palestinians from their home and created the world's largest stateless nation. WBAI's Mitchell Cohen was there and files this report. Brooklyn hadn't seen anything like this for years. Thousands of people roared along Fifth Avenue in Bay Ridge on Saturday, supporting the Palestinian people's fight for survival in the face of the state of Israel's bombardment and illegal occupation of their land. This was the largest demonstration in this part of Brooklyn, not far from the Verrazano Bridge, in decades. Most of the protesters wore masks, thankfully, and many of them were young and female and powerful. I interviewed two participants, one a young Palestinian student studying at Rutgers University, at least young in my eyes, and the other a 90-year-old Jewish woman in a wheelchair, tearful as we talked. in Newark and I'm here with my friends we're protesting we're fighting for our rights I'm from Ramallah it's a little village in Ramallah it's called Muhammad it's very small in the West Bank you go back there we do we go every summer we couldn't go last year but we usually every summer over there so we see everything firsthand usually in our area it's a little more calm we're not really towards the city side we're towards like the village side so it's a lot more calm than what you see on the news Towards like the city side, it is really crazy. It's a lot of bombing going on. It's a lot of missiles. All it's madness. It's sad. It's very depressing. You know, they want to take all of our land. They took enough, and they just want all of it. And they're not going to stop until they do. And we're not going to let that happen. It's just crazy. We're all very upset over it. But what can we do other than you know fight for our right? Shotzi, Shotzi Weisberger. I live on the Upper West Side. I was born in Brooklyn. But I'm heartsick for what's happening to the Palestinians. Just breaks my heart. It's hard to even talk about it. You know what? I mean, we hear some of it in the news. There's a lot of distortion. I've been, I've been fighting for Palestine for many, many, many years. So your sign says. This 90-year-old Jew says Zionism is a white supremacist ideology. The Zionists are, it's, a, it's racism, it's a genocide, it's just horrendous. As a Jew, it just breaks my heart that the Jewish people are the oppressors.
Mitchell Cohn, WBAI Radio, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Thanks, Mitchell. The march through the streets of Bay Ridge was notable for its size and diversity. Numerous Jewish protesters joined with Palestinians condemning Israel's assault on Gaza. A few spoke with WBAI. We're here to protest. We're with the Palestinians. Why? Because they are killing innocent children and women. Innocent children, bombed, killed. And they, it's just disgusting. It's just terrible. Nah, Israelis is killing my people, my brothers and sisters. My grandma and grandpa, right, they migrated from Palestine to Jordan. So it's my, it's our turn for my brothers and sisters to take it back. Try to have peace. You know what I mean? Do everything to have peace. Don't fight. Don't pay to fight. You know, I lived a long time and I know. It don't pay to fight. You have to try a way to agree on things. Uh, it says, I'm Jewish and I stand with Palestine. Tell me why. Because what's happening right now is genocide. It's an apartheid state and I... I'm not aligned with that. I stand with the Palestinian people. For solidarity with Palestine, with the Palestinian people. Uh, for the sake of solidarity, they need us to be out here, and uh, we, we need to give everything we have to support their human rights and dignity. War crimes and atrocities that Israel has been committing are reprehensible, and we need to do everything in our power to fight back and tell our entire community, our representatives, that it's time to stop funding oppression and apartheid and genocide and start fighting against it. Netanyahu, can't you see? Netanyahu, can't you see? Palestine will be free. Let's find somebody. I'm from WBAI Radio. Would you like to tell people on the radio why you're here? I'm here to stand up for the Palestinian people and their rights. Their human rights. This is about humanity. This is not about religion. This is not about anything except for defending the rights of them to, to exist and to not be massacred. I would like to see our Congress people take action and, and look at how we're helping fund what's happening and the the the, mur the genocide of what's going on right now. Did you expect these many people? No, I didn't, and I'm amazed at how many different people are here. I've seen all kinds of people from all over the world with creative signs that I wish I thought of, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, th there's... I hope that the media captures the beauty, the diversity of what's happening right now, because I hear, you know, they say Allahu Akbar, God is great. And that's exactly, I feel like the soundbite that's going to get taken away and make it look like this was some terrorist gathering. And this is not what it is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a positive thing. It's a peaceful thing. We just want change. Voices for Saturday's march marking the 73 years since the Nakba, the eviction of millions of Palestinians by Israel in 1948. Meanwhile, the White House says President Joe Biden expressed support for a ceasefire in a call to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today. The U.S. had blocked for a third time what would have been an unanimous statement by the United Nations Security Council expressing grave concern over the intensifying assault by the Israeli military on two million Palestinians in Gaza. That's left more than two 200 Palestinians dead and numerous buildings destroyed. The United States says it's focusing on what it calls quiet diplomacy. But nobody seemed to have given Mitch, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell the heads up on the change in approach. Today, he slammed his own Senate colleagues for daring to assert Israel might be in the wrong, even partially. This yields calls for blanket ceasefires and people wagging their fingers at both sides. This camp apparently includes some of our own Senate colleagues. To say that both sides, both sides, need to de-escalate downplays 
the responsibility the terrorists have for initiating the conflict in the first place. But despite the noise from Washington, popular culture across the board has been more pro-Palestinian in recent days than anyone can remember. From Paris Hilton, who tweeted her support for Gaza, to comedian John Oliver, who accused Israel of being an apartheid state. If you believe Israel's actions are warranted and proportionate this week, you're welcome to try and make that argument. But we have got to start having this conversation honestly and falling back on convenient sanitized terms like real estate disputes and airstrikes on militants feels a little disingenuous when what you're describing is forcing people from the homes they've lived in for decades and killing civilians and children. And again, none of this frees Hamas from responsibility, but Hamas doesn't represent all Palestinians, just as what Israel is doing right now doesn't represent all Israelis or indeed Jewish people. Lots is complicated here, but some things are pretty simple. One side is suffering much more. And if America really wants to help, it might want to seriously consider changing its long-held position here, because for decades, the backbone of America's policy in the Middle East has been that America is an unwavering friend to Israel, which is a great thing to try and be. But at the end of the day, I would hope that a real friend would tell me when I'm being an asshole, and definitely when I'm committing a war crime. Comedian John Oliver. UCLA English professor Sari Makdizi says up to now the U.S. has been totally one-sided on the Israeli side. Well, the U.S. militarily and politically both has been offering essentially unlimited support to what the Israelis are doing in their, in their bombardment of Gaza. Uh, just recently, uh, President Biden uh authorized sending another, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars worth of weaponry, bombs specifically, to, to the Israelis to use in their bombardment of essentially civilian infrastructure and other targets in Gaza. So it's it's pretty catastrophic. And in the meantime, the U.S. is using its its veto in the Security Council third time in a row to to stop any kind of attempt to, to impose a ceasefire uh, on, on what's happening. What is the U.S. goal in all of this? What is the Biden administration goal? The typical narrative for the U.S. is that it doesn't really have a goal. Honestly, a lot of people think that the U- that Israel serves American interests, that it's sort of like America's attack dog in the Middle East. I don't subscribe to that theory at all. I don't. I think that that American interests and Israeli interests are 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 comprehensively different, and I think that a lot of what the U.S. does and a lot of its policies are dictated not by its own national security interests, but rather by domestic politics and lobbying and that sort of thing. You think it's part of the this rise in ultra-right, America first, Israel first type of politics? In the case of Biden, specifically the, the man himself, I think he's kind of stuck in a time warp of this is what you do. You know, had, had it been back in the 1980s or even the 1990s, whatever the Israelis want, we say yes. Do you think there's going to be a war? And it- the kind of resistance taking place now among Palestinians is not just rocket fire out of Gaza. Much more importantly, it's civil unrest inside pre-67 Israel and in the, the occupied territories of the West Bank and East Jerusalem in particular. The resistance is now much more multifaceted. The reaction by a lot of people in Congress is very impressive. This is not what it was. Comedians, like, I don't know if you saw the John Oliver skit, but it's like people are saying things that they would never have said 10 or 15 years ago. This is not the we're not on the same script of the 1980s and 1990s. Something is changing in the U.S. People see the Israelis for what they are increasingly. 
And this level of savage bombardment, of course, makes that point all the more powerfully, which is, again, why I said it seems to be disconnected as far as the Israelis are concerned from any kind of rational strategy. Where is this leading to in the immediate? It's happening much faster than people have talked about previously. When you combine the spectacle of this incredible violence that the Israelis are inflicting on Gaza with the spectacle of essentially pogroms against the Palestinian minority inside Israel, people's houses being burst into, people being beaten up in the street, their cars smashed and dragged out of cars and beaten up. And so we're looking at an apartheid state. That, with the background together of recent reports about apartheid defining as an apartheid state published by a UN agency a couple of years ago by Human Rights Watch, that's what we're dealing with here. So I think somebody like John Oliver that can use the word apartheid or AOC can, can say apartheid, something fundamental has changed here. The narrative has changed. This is a struggle between an apartheid state and the people that it's trying to bludgeon into submission. And of course, it's failing to do so. The solution is going to change from what had been the dominant narrative of the past 20 whatever years, a two-state solution, into a one-state solution, which is in fact the reality on the ground. There is only one state. It's an apartheid state. If we believe in human rights and rights for all and equality and justice, we have to back the project to turn this state into a democratic and secular state that treats all of its citizens equally. Sorry, Makdizi. And activist Joe Catron has lived in Gaza for years. He's currently in New York and with the group Samidun, the Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network, which has been listing the worldwide protests that took place over the weekend. He says the outlook for Gaza is actually optimistic. Well, this situation is fairly unique compared to past Israeli offensives. It's really the first time that we've seen this kind of uprising across all of historic Palestine, coupled with armed struggle from within the Gaza Strip and now from within the West Bank. In the past, we've seen uprisings, intifadas. We've certainly seen armed struggle. But this is the first time that Palestinian resistance at every level, armed, popular, boycott, the prisoners' movement, is really working together with a common strategy. So that's something that's fairly unprecedented and is giving a lot of people significant hope. And I think that's also a key driver for the tremendous outpouring of solidarity that we've seen in the last week. My organization, Samadun, is trying to maintain a comprehensive list of global actions in support of Palestine, and we've been scrambling to keep up just because there's such a flood of them. The sheer quantity of people mobilizing and the events being organized is really something impressive. What is the goal that everybody's coming together to try and achieve? Well, in the long run, of course, most of us want the full liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. In the short term, we're trying to build political support, certainly within the United States, which is Israel's key international sponsor, in the hopes that we can ultimately pose a meaningful challenge to its support for Israel, to the $3.8 billion in military aid that the United States gives Israel every year and also the political and diplomatic support that it offers Israel on an unconditional basis in forums like the United Nations, which is also significant in Israel's current impunity for its many crimes against Palestinians. And what about the prisoners? Who are these prisoners? How many are there? What are their conditions? Currently, there are about 4,400 Palestinian political prisoners who are held by Israel as a result of their participation in the Palestinian national movement, 
And Samadun sees them as key leaders in the Palestinian struggle. We look to them for guidance on what we should be doing in support of Palestine. And right now, they, like all of us, are very focused on developments outside the prisons, on the ongoing struggle against Zionism across the whole of Palestine, as well as in the refugee camps in Jordan, Lebanon, Syria. Where do you think everything is heading right now? I'm optimistic. This is the first time we've really seen all of these sectors of Palestinian resistance coming together. It's also the first time we've seen such an outpouring of participation and engagement from Palestinians across the whole of Palestine and in the refugee camps and in the diaspora. And this has lent itself to a huge amount of international support, much more than we've seen in the past. I think there's reason for cautious optimism about the future. Joe Catron is with Samadun, the Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network. And the United States Supreme Court on Monday agreed to hear a major challenge to the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide, taking up the case from Mississippi that could ban abortions after 15 weeks. By hearing the case in their next term, which starts in October, the justices, now six conservatives and three liberals, will look at whether to overturn a central part of the landmark ruling, a longstanding goal of religious conservatives. The Roe decision says states uh, could not ban abortion before a fetus is viable outside the womb, which is generally viewed as between 24 and 28 weeks, the Mississippi law would ban abortion much earlier than that. Roe versus Wade recognized that a constitutional right to personal privacy protects a woman's ability to obtain an abortion. The Supreme Court in 1992 reaffirmed the ruling and prohibited laws that place an undue burden on a woman's ability to obtain an abortion. And last year, the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision struck down an abortion law in Louisiana that imposed restrictions on doctors who perform the procedure. But that was with the late liberal justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg still on the court and with conservative Chief Justice John Roberts voting with the court's liberal wing in the ruling. The court has since shifted from 5-4 to a 6-3 conservative majority following the confirmation last year of former President Donald Trump's third appointee, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, viewed as a religious conservative. Trump had promised during his 2016 presidential campaign to appoint justices who would overturn Roe versus Wade. Louisiana case also marked the court's first major abortion decision after Trump's first two appointees, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, took the bench. Both voted in favor of Louisiana's restrictions. If Barrett were to vote on similar lines in the Mississippi case, conservatives could have a majority to curb abortion rights, regardless of how Roberts votes. A lawyer for the American Civil Liberties Union on Monday called the court's decision to review the Mississippi case scary and potentially devastating. And that's some of the WBAI news for Monday, May 17, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry and Mitchell Cohen, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>